You're listening to the Weekly Service Podcast, crowdsourced wisdom to help you reimagine life. Today's storyteller is the proud queer Indigenous artist and youth leader, Aretha Brown. Through sharing her own stories of going to school in Australia, the 19-year-old Gumbangir woman makes a powerful case for decolonizing the country's education system. She is clear. If Australian schools aren't teaching black history, then they're teaching white supremacy. And she links the lack of education about Aboriginal culture and history at her school to a hate crime she experienced just two weeks before her year 12 exams. Aretha's an amazing storyteller and artist who made a big impact on all of us who heard her talk at the weekly service. She was the first female Prime Minister of the National Indigenous Youth Parliament, and she's had her artwork shown at the National Gallery of Victoria. Aretha produced a booklet for this talk called Decolonising Yourself, Questions for the Thoughtful Ally, with a series of questions to ask yourself and your institutions. A link is in the show notes. Okay, here we go. Um, I suppose before I start, I'll just do all of my acknowledgement. So yeah, um, acknowledging the Rwandan mob whose lands that I work and live on, um, and also... Um, yeah, acknowledging my own Gumbangri mob um, and also my elders. Um, my grandma, uh, Arnie Janice Brown, who lives up in, you know, uh, western suburb of Sydney. She is the kind of, you know, one of the most kind of um, seminal forces in my life. She's just this wonderful woman. Um, and I suppose that's kind of where my story begins, if I'm just going to jump straight into it. My grandma, um, when she was about 14 years old, she was taken from my community um, down to Sydney to become pretty much like a glorified kind of, you know, slave for this kind of rich family in Bondi, near Bondi Beach there. Um, and she spent, um, you know, a good portion, like, you know, from the age that I am now, so 19, um, a good portion of her young life kind of working for this white family. Um, and that history is just so incredibly kind of um, recent that I, I can't forget about it. And I have to acknowledge that my grandma didn't even get to go to school in this country. Um, and she also, you know, in her life, she also couldn't vote in this country because she was black and, you know, she's alive today and, you know, <laughs> which is very good, obviously, but it's so recent. Like literally my family members couldn't vote um, who are alive today in this country. Um, and I think that needs to be acknowledged. I also want to acknowledge all the mob of Jabarung at the moment and knowing that that's an ongoing struggle that has been going on for, this isn't a recent thing. There's been mob up there protesting, you know, on the on the front lines for for years up at Jabarung. Um, and I think I, we need to acknowledge that while we're sitting here in Melbourne, only, you know, only a few hundred kilometres away, there is active resistance going on. Um, and, you know, ecocide really, you know, this kind of um, just, <laughs> there's a discussion for another day, but um, just acknowledge that that's going on as well. But to start my story, um, I'm Gibangri, um, which is a tribe which is up in northern New South Wales, kind of near like Coffs Harbour. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my tribe. And I suppose, yeah, I'm going to just start with, you know, um, high school. So year seven, I went to the local high school up there and Nambaka, which is a town that I grew up in, is this tiny little country town, you know, it's on the beach, but it is very much a country town. Um, and it was just such a, it wasn't a very crummy school. Um, and it, yeah, it just wasn't a very good school and, you know, it, uh, the, the dropout rate was crazy and not a lot of Aboriginal kids even finished school and it was 
you know, it was just a classic kind of public um, country town school, um, for lack of a better term. But I suppose the thing that I always like, I always remember is that every single week there'd be one class which my uncle would actually run. <laughs> and I remember it was really funny because like, um, if you ever mucked up in the class, he would just tell your mom because he was like my uncle. And so he knew everyone in the class, we were all cousins. Um, and it was a local language class. So I got to learn Yabangri for like a good year. And it was just this magnificent class where I got to learn culture and I got to learn all this stuff in a school environment. And it was just amazing. And I remember it was the one class where it was 100% Indigenous attendance every single time, all the mob rocked up because, you know, he would let you come in. And it was just more our style. We got to come in and we got to, you know, eat lunch which sounds like not like a major you know which was a major thing you know you could come and eat lunch with the mob and we could talk about stuff in our language and it was just brilliant and then you know for my own family reasons um you know family violence um I had to move down to Melbourne at the start of year eight to live with my dad who is non-indigenous and my mom is indigenous so moved down to Melbourne and that was just probably one of the biggest kind of tectonic shifts in my entire life because Suddenly I'm not in this little tiny school where there's mostly mob um, and all my cousins. I'm now in this kind of, um, you know, what what felt like to me like this private school, like just this crazy rich white world <laughs> suddenly. And it, it was still a public school in the western suburbs. So it wasn't like I was moving to Xavier or anything, but um, it was just this new world. And so I moved to Melbourne and... I just, you know, I remember the first thing I noticed was like this new school that I went to had plasma screen TVs in all the hallways. And I remember being like, girl, like if we had that at my old school, these would be stolen. These these wouldn't last year. Um, and that was like the big difference for me. But I remember as soon as I moved to Melbourne, I had to pick up Indonesian. So I, had to, I couldn't learn Gabangi anymore. I had to pick up Indonesian. Um, and I remember just being like, oh, like this is so kind of random and not relevant to me I don't want to learn Indonesian I want to learn my own language and I want to learn my own stuff um and so I think um you know I definitely disconnected a lot from school and um I just wasn't getting what I needed while I was in Melbourne um and the thing is I knew about my own history I knew about my grandma and the stolen generations I knew about my own family's you know institutional just problems with the system but I wasn't being taught that at school you know I would walk into I remember literally walking into history class and I think at this point it would have been like what year nine and you know big textbook clunked down on the desk and the first page was Aboriginal history and it was some really dark-skinned fella from Northern Territory getting speared and then the next 400 pages were average uh, well, what was white history and I was just so unsatisfied and you know, <laughs> I'm a teenager, so I was already pretty angsty and like, you know, mad at the world already and listening to the Smiths and, and you know, being classic angsty. But add on top of this, this real serious kind of racial injustice, which I knew was real, but I just wasn't seeing it at school. I was just really angry. And so I suppose what happened was I kind of took my uh, education outside of school. So I was learning from my grandma. I was reading up on different resources. I was asking elders. I was watching stuff online where I could. And I was coming back to school with this knowledge only for it to kind of be um, refuted, I suppose, for lack of a better term, by the school. Because here I was coming and saying, yeah, like this stuff has happened to my family. I've learned this, this and this. And for students to go, nah, we weren't told that that's not true. Um, was always kind of like, this is so corrupt. Because um, in my heart of hearts, I, I knew my history. Um, I just wasn't being taught it. So yeah, anyway, I kind of 
got entrenched in this whole world of learning Indigenous history and activism. I was so angry, more than anything, just really, really angry. Um, and that kind of led me to get into my old, my own kind of field of activism from a very, very young age. So um, I remember the, one of the first things I did is I spoke at the first, one of the Invasion Day rallies. And I think I would have been like 16. Um, and I always have to acknowledge, you know, Celeste Little and the girls there at war those lovely women at war that kind of got me my first speaking, my you know, my first big speaking role was at the Invasion Day th- rally. And like I said, I was just such an angsty, angry teenager that this was, it felt very like a very natural thing to do and it felt right. And for the first time I could literally just get up and scream and and really just, you know, just scream because I was just so angry at this system that I was having to go to every single day that was denying, it wasn't just denying Indigenous history, it was denying my grandma's history who I speak to every single day. It was denying my own racism, which I experience most days, you know? Um, so, yeah, I got to literally get up and scream my head off at the Invasion Day rally, and I was just thought, like, oh, God, this is this is brilliant. This is so much fun. And it's just, like, this big release valve of all this emotion that I've been carrying around. Um, and then from that, you know, I got – I was just obsessed, and I got into this very radical kind of stream of just learning about it as much as I could and – that eventually led me to become, you know, elected the first female prime, prime minister of the National Indigenous Youth Parliament. And I swear, I'm not like trying to ring my own bell by being like, ooh, like first female, like, mm. but, you know, I was, and I think that's an important thing to recognise as well as an Indigenous person that, you know, gender well and truly comes into play as well. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a discussion for another day, but, um, you know, as a young Aboriginal woman as well, you know, that it's also a very different experience. But yeah, so got elected the first female Prime Minister of the National Indigenous Youth Parliament up in Canberra. Um, and that was like a monumental thing. I, I was also the youngest person. And um, outside of high school, I was just doing all this stuff only to go back to, you know, go back to school of a Monday morning and just just not seeing myself reflected back anywhere. Um, and yeah, and so I suppose what happened is I went back to school after doing all these things and I, I had such a kind of, um, you know, will about it that I became, you know, quite a target for a lot of a lot of students at my school and that, you know, resulted in a lot of bullying. Um, <laughs> you know, I laugh about it now, but, you know, bullying in high school really sucks and it's really horrible and, you, you know, you don't, it's just the worst thing. And, you know, suddenly as I... I, I'm trying to like do a graph here with my fingers, but you know, as I became more politically aware, I became more of a target for students, and um, that you know, it was just tension all the time. And I remember there was this one girl um, who just really didn't like me in high school, and she came up to me and she's like, "Aretha, you walk around like you own the place." <laughs> and I remember, I literally remember being like, "This is the arrogance of youth," but I remember being like, "Well, technically." I do <laughs> like it was like this real tension because I knew this history um and not a lot of people did and so you know yeah it, it just got really really bad and I suppose it all kind of you know uh climaxed for lack of a better term um in year 12 market day so this is only what like two years ago I'm 19 now so this is only two years ago I really want to keep that in mind how relevant like you know how close this this is um, so two years ago mock-up day year twelve and I'm pretty sure most people here know what mock-up day is it's like the final day of year twelve people just kind of get a bit drunk and dress up as tradies and sexy cats and stuff and just wear silly outfits and just celebrate you know year twelve and stuff and some of the students that had really been having a go at me um, 
after all these years, um, this one girl dressed up as Hitler, I kid you not, um, on the final day of year 12, markup day. And I remember just being like, whoa, this is, this is taking a new level, you know, like the racism that I've experienced in school has been so subtle, but now this is so overt. Um, and keep in mind, I, I work, you know, I'm going to name the school. It was Williamstown High School. <laughs> Screw it, I'll say it. Um, even then, it's still very much an inner city Melbourne school. So you'd, you'd assume quite left leaning. But yeah, so this girl dressed up as, as Hitler. And I remember going up to my teachers and, you know, there's obviously other students who were very kind of freaked out um, on the day and just being like, this is so not okay. Like, what what is going on here? And I remember the school actually let this girl stay um, for muck-up day as long as she took off the Nazi iconography. So she could take off the swastika. sticker. She could leave the moustache. The moustache was fine. It's not like, you know, Hitler has an infamously, you know, recognisable moustache or anything. Um, so she, you know, as long as she took off the swastika, she was allowed to stay. And I remember going back to class at the end of that day because, you know, I still had to study and stuff. And I walked into my year 12 art room um, and my art teacher, who is my favourite person on the entire planet, um, was like very, very upset. Like she looked like she was crying, and I was like, "Miss, like you know, what's going on? Are you, are you okay?" And she's like, "Aretha, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to tell you this, but those kids um, that dressed up as literal Nazis um, had broken into the art room the night before, so early that morning before mock-up day, and have like damaged your paintings." Um, and I remember just being like, "Oh, that's fine. You know, cheeky little bit of fascism. That's totally cool. I, don't, you know." I'll be I'll be fine and I really kind of like played it off you know played it down just because I was two weeks away from my year tw- final year 12 exams and dealing with a hate crime was just not something I emotionally had any <laughs> anything I had nothing to give at that point um and and then there was this whole police investigation but even then I had to initiate it and I remember the school actually got me to go and ask students to get witness reports because they didn't want to deal with it two weeks out of year 12. Um, and I suppose the reason I tell that story is um, is, is not to kind of render sympathy or, or anything like that. It's more so just to kind of recognise that I can't even be mad at this girl, you know, um, for, for doing something so abhorrent. I can be mad at the system because at the end of the day, because we were, you know, this is me going full circle now and connecting it back, but because we weren't learning Indigenous history from day one of year seven, it created an environment that proliferated what is white supremacy. You know, if you're not teaching black history in schools, you're teaching white supremacy. That's what it is. Um, and just, I, you know, the school had created this environment. There was this vacuum now of kind of hate and intolerance because we knew nothing else. And so I can't really blame her. You know, I, I can a little bit. <laughs> um, but it was just like, this This is not okay. Like, I, it all starts at school. It all starts from that young age of needing to get it all taught. And, um, yeah, and I'm trying to think what happened after that. Yeah, so I ended up, you know, fixing the paintings um, myself as well. It was actually my my teachers got her, one of her family members to come in. And the point is it was like, I, you know, we had to try to figure it out myself. The school didn't offer any support. Um, and if anything, really, really play down the incident, which is a hate crime, Um in the most overt way possible, um, you know, to keep the kind of reputation of the school at bay. And I was just, that was a final straw. I was like, no other, only brown students would have to deal with a hate crime two weeks out of um, their exams. You know, no one else would have to deal with that. And that's not okay, you know. Year 12 is hard enough. 
Um, but when you have to deal with stuff like that with no support, it's just like, it's so not okay. And um, yeah, so anyway, I fixed the paintings and they eventually got, you know, went to the NGV, um, <laughs> which is like, yeah, like me, like screw y'all. I always wanted to send that girl like a thank you note saying thanks. Like they got into the NGV. Mm, um, I did it, <laughs> but yeah, so they went, went to the NGV um, and they came actually the hero image for the Top Arts exhibition in 2019. Oh, 18. Oh, my God. Got my dates are wrong. But one of those years. And so that was kind of the success story at the end of it. But even then, like, I must say the NGV, for all the good they do, they actually didn't include that story in it. Because, um, you know, if you see those paintings today, I don't know, you know, I've sold them to a collector at this point, but if you see those paintings today, you can actually still see the cracks from where they, they kicked them in. Cause it was, you know, it's plywood. Like it's really hard to kick in. Um, but yeah, you can still see the tiny little cracks of where I've had to repair it. And so I, I just thought it was such an important story, but the NGV actually didn't let me put that on the kind of didactic information that sits next to the paintings. Um, so there's like the secret little story behind that painting. If you ever see it, um, the one that we actually used for this event um, promotion, the one with the, the woman near the train, the train, train, sorry. So that's a little secret story behind it. But um, yeah, so I suppose coming out of that, um, the things that I really had to learn, number one is as an Aboriginal student, did I want to have, you know, moving from that, you know, the school up in Nambaka to Melbourne, it was like, as an Aboriginal student, I'm kind of forced to either have a, a connection to culture, like I did, I got to learn my language, I was with cousins, it was this really safe space. Or do I want to go to an actual good school where there's resources and there's teachers that give a shit? Um, th those, are your, those are your options, you know. Do you want to be connected or do you want a good education, you know, whatever that means? And that, that's, that's, the, that's the question we're posing to young, to young mob, which isn't okay. We should be allowed both. We deserve both. It's our right to have both of those things. Um, not teaching, you know, Aboriginal history is white supremacy, first and foremost. That's end of sentence. Um, and I suppose the other, the, the other kind of closing thing is, um, you know, I, you know, um, Jara you know, introduced me as an activist, which, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem with as a, as a prefix or a title, but I think it's important to recognise that every single Indigenous person is an activist, um, just, just by virtue of being... Indigenous, if you're born in this country as an Aboriginal person, you're a political entity, regardless of what, how engaged in politics you are, just by, we're very politicised people, um, no matter what you do, it's because I'm Indigenous, you know, <laughs> if I didn't finish year 12, it's because I'm Indigenous, or if I did finish year 12, it was because I was Indigenous, regardless of what I do, I do it Indigenously, so screw everyone, <laughs> like, this is the, you know, screw the haters, um, That that's just kind of how it is, and um, I, you know, there's, there's no, um, apology in that. I don't think, um, I do everything indigenously. I, I eat this apple indigenously. I sit on my seat indigenously and I look good indigenously. Yes. So yeah, I, I suppose those are the big things. The other thing about year 12 that I think is important to note is, you know, when we talk about students in high school in year 12, the big, the big point that people always make is like, you know, we put so much pressure on year 12 students to, to aim really high and to do really well and to be overachievers, which is very true. But as an Indigenous student, I experienced the exact opposite where 
people didn't expect anything of me. You know, people didn't expect me to be to overachieve or to work too hard. It was the fact that I even came to class. Some teachers were like, "Oh, well, you know, Rita's turned up." Like it was, I, w- I It was the opposite. I didn't. No one expected anything of me. You know, they were just amazed when I even came to exams, and that is just as difficult to deal with when no one expects anything of you or to do really well. Um, and regardless, and I, like I said, I'm, I swear I'm not one of those wankers that it's like, I got a 99.95. It's like, who cares? But I did do really well um, despite the hate crime literally two weeks out of, you know, my exams. And I'm really proud of that. You know, it's not the most amazing school, but for me, I'm not going to reveal it just because it's, it's, you know, it's so silly. But I'm proud of that. But just knowing that of all the stuff that mob we've had to deal with, just to finish high school is just like, it's just crazy to me. And it really is, it really all starts at high school, like, you know, in, prim- in primary, in, in, in our schools. And there's no way about it, you know. Um, yeah, that's, that's where it all starts. And, um, yeah. And so n- now I'm in university um, studying, yeah, studying painting at VCA. And that's had its own set of problems, I suppose. Um, but, you know, yeah, I am... I'm, I'm glad I'm in uni. I want to be the first in my family to finish uni, my, like, you know, my close family. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the dream. <laughs> um, but if I can just quickly sum up. So I do a lot of work with NIAC, so the National Indigenous Youth Education Coalition, and um, everyone should kind of get onto them. I'll, I'll literally write it in the chat now. Hang on. Oh, my God. But NIAC are, like, super, super cool, and they, they – they do that they help with all the stuff that I'm literally talking about now but I suppose to kind of reiterate their big three points about how we can help support mob in in high schools it's uh number one we want local aboriginal history in all subjects um the emphasis on this is on local um you know we want local history you know there's over 250 plus aboriginal tribes clans and nations it's very complex and we can't teach it as one you know um Bannered kind of subject. It has to be local history of the local mob around you, um, and the other emphasis is in all subjects. Um, so I know one at a time. I mean, I'm just completely finish up. But yeah, so in all subjects, um, you know, Mung AFL AFL is an Aboriginal game. Mungrook is what we call it. And so teaching, you know, Mungrook in sport and teaching Aboriginal astrology and science and teaching um, Indigenous, you know, foods in 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 uh, food tech and Aboriginal history in history and Aboriginal art and art. we want it in all subjects when you kind of um, put Aboriginal people in just history class what it does is it kind of reinforces the idea that we are you know a race that is well and truly gone which we're not we, we've survived we're modern people 80% of us live in the cities <laughs> you know we're we're very much alive and we've survived all this shit and so putting us you know into just history class reaffirms this idea that we once were, even though that's not true at all. Um, number two, we want, you know, through NIAC, we, we want all teachers to be culturally trained, um, full stop. And number three, um, you see, yeah, for schools to kind of prioritise teaching, uh, sorry, uh, Indigenous governance, I suppose, over teaching Aboriginal history. So when we can get elders in, when you can get other community educators, when, you you know, Anybody into you know over a white person's obviously gonna be better, but you know we don't want to exhaust anyone. There's only you know there's not a lot of us to do all this work, but um, to yeah really prioritize that teaching and to really respect our time and 
at the end of the day, um, you know, our stories as young Aboriginal people is kind of really the only, you know, um, it's it's the it's the uh, I'm trying to think of the word here, but it's kind of what we need to kind of fight the 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 way that we're portrayed anywhere else. You know, we are the you know we offer a lot of solutions to the way that Aboriginal history is taught, and our stories is enough. That's all we have to do. And as Aboriginal people, it's our job right now, I think, to heal. So to, to just heal and to just make our art and to tell our stories and it's for white people to kind of pick up from these stories and, and to do the work so we don't exhaust ourselves, you know. It's our job to heal, white people's jobs to do the work right now. Mm-hmm.